Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1360. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And our episode is entitled Take the Fifth. Mm-hmm. Our podcast title is Why Chromopod, <laughs> our biological office. And speaking of biology, I believe you've had your shot. Maybe. Yes, I've had my second uh, dose of the vaccine, and so I'm all ready for my 5G powers to kick in. And uh, so I am standing by and I'll report back when uh, my enhancements start to show themselves and let you know what powers I got. And Zero G is double dosed with AstraZeneca. <laughs> Anyway, okay. Now, Avenue 5, which is a HBO sitcom. Yes, it's got all these little ticks against it. So it's HBO show. And it's British. (laughs) (laughs) I saw it on Binge. Yes, it's available on Binge. And the creator is someone that we know and love who's got quite a few favourites under his belt. Mm. Now, the history of the ship com which is the science fiction comedy set in space there's so many shows that revolve around that premise red dwarf the classic one hyperdrive another british series quark that's the u.s american one the orville the kind of star trek easter egging show Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. seth Mm MacFarlane, and then there's the actual star trek easter egging show Mm -hmm. star trek lower decks Mm -hmm. And Galaxy Quest, of course, which is more of a movie, but technically also a a television show too. And Futurama, Rick and Morty. Mm, Yeah, good one. Other Space and the web series Final Space, Mm -hmm. as well as Tripping the Rift. There are so many of these sort of things. And Avenue 5, I guess it's really the latest one for us, and it's created by Armando Iannucci. Yes, a name. Again, that was my second tick. I was like, oh, it's HBO. Oh, it's Armando. What's he been up to? And, yes, he's Mm. been creating this show. Name notwithstanding, Scottish satirist. And they also list him, I mean, they give him the full credits, you know, writer, director, performer, panellist, <laughs> radio producer. <laughs> and, of course, he was born in Glasgow to Italian parents, hence the name. Now, he has done so many things that we've enjoyed. Let's see, the uh, director and writer of The Death of Stalin in mm-hmm. 2017. Mm-hmm. And Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was the exec producer of that. And, of course, probably the one that he's most famous for, In the Loop, in 2009, which he directed and wrote. And also the show In the Thick of It. Yes, he was involved in The Thick of It as well. Yeah, because In the Loop is the spin-off movie from that, isn't it? Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Which has got, of course, the notoriously foul-mouthed doctor, Peter Capaldi, (laughs) and he also is a Glaswegian, and apparently Armando's family and Capaldi's family knew each other. Mm, Okay. But the kids didn't. 
you know, that Doctor Who connection just not there at the time. So, you know, some sterling credits there for the showrunner. He did create the thick of it. Probably a lot of people would know him from his work on Veep as well. Mm. So he created the American political satire Veep, which he did with HBO. So they've obviously gone, we loved it. It was very successful for us. What do you want to do next? And then Avenue 5 has come along. And this is Zero G's public service, really, because we've been discovering some great sitcoms. Yeah. On the show recently, we've had Mythic Quest, we've had Schmigadoon, we've caught up with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and now Avenue 5. All right, it is set in space aboard Mm -hmm. the Space Star Liner, a cruise liner in space, really, Mm. the Avenue 5, Mm -hmm. and it's part of a series of other ships called Avenue 1, 2, 3, etc., etc. Now, the... Captain of the Avenue Five. He's a space hero. <laughs> Captain Ryan Clark. Now, isn't that a, a heroic spacer name? You know? <laughs> Just says square jaw and American accent, which Hugh Laurie, who's playing Ryan, has indeed adopted for this. Mm-hmm, Somewhat mm-hmm. riffing off his house character. Now, I'm probably unusual in that I've never seen an episode of House. Oh, it is quite enjoyable. I mean, he is the heart and soul of that show. I mean, I love a good medical procedural, but he's fantastic in that. And a lot of people know him just from that, so are kind of shocked when they find out he's British and has a a big comedy career and so on. But you're right. This is the logline if you want to sell this show to someone. It's an HBO show about a cruise ship in space with Hugh Laurie as the captain created by Armando Inucci. Like, this This is the package that we've got here. Now, along with his extensive list of mundane movie and television (laughs) credits, Mr. Laurie has also done work on 101 Dalmatians in 96, Spice World in 97. I first saw him on the Blackadder series Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. playing various roles, and he was in Tomorrowland in 2015. He played Mycroft Holmes in Holmes and Watson in 2018, Jeeves and Wooster Show and Fry and Laurie and so many other shows that we don't really need to go into. He is note perfect in this. Mm. I don't know how much we want to give away about his character, maybe nothing at all. A few twists and turns as the ship zigs and zags, and I think we want to keep those uh, under wraps for you to enjoy. Watch unfold yourself. Yeah. Anyway, here's the heroic captain who will lead our ship of fools (laughs) (laughs) through space. Now, The Avenue 5, it is a commercial venture, and this is actually so timing with the Inspiration 4 mission that went up recently with basically civilian, I put that in air quotes or space quotes, astronauts, again, Mm. something else that many people will put in quotes, but I don't care, orbited the Earth, astronauts, okay? We'll go with that. And so with civilians in space more and more often and, and commercial space flights here and hopefully to stay and doing that because I want to get a free ticket for Zero-G one day. (laughs) Would it not be so cool to do Zero-G from orbit? I don't know. Some of the shows we're seeing come out like this Avenue 5 didn't make me want to launch into space. (laughs) But, yeah, it's definitely playing off this idea of billionaire playboys who who have enough money to start their own space corporations or space leisure cruise liners. Oh, now what was that animated movie with, you know, the uh, the little robot? Wally. 
Wally. Yeah, that was set on a space cruise liner, and it's actually very, very similar to this in its sets and design. A really mm. luxurious floating palace. Lots the, of the, white lights, lots of smooth lines. Yes. Mm-mm. Yeah. Everything is designed. Mm. Except perhaps possibly for its way to get back home to Earth if they have an accident en route. So, okay, something terrible goes wrong Mm. in the first show. So we like on that Gilligan's Island sort of three-hour tour thing. You know, when the weather starts getting rough, the ship goes off course and they find out that it's going to take three years to return to Earth instead of the usual eight-week-long cruise. So serious difficulties. Now, they set out to make a comedy show, but I Mm. believe this show is actually the perfect metaphor for the pandemic. There's so much isolation involved in being out there in space in these circumstances, and the the passengers – who I must admit are a dim-witted lot generally, they behave a lot like people have done in the pandemic. (laughs) Certain people, I will say, anti-vaxxers. Actually, that was just an allergy cough, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as you all know, I always wear my mask when I'm doing G too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, the Avenue 5, it's got to get back to Earth, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to be easy. Now, who does Captain Clark? And as I was saying before, Hugh Laurie, not perfect in this role. Yeah. He's a little bit Basil Faulty. Mm. Yeah, very much Basil Faulty. And he's just trying to hold it all together. Yes. But he swears like Malcolm Tucker from you thick of it. <laughs> <laughs> so be warned, this is not necessarily for the kiddies, this space show. Mm. It does involve adult concepts. If only they had adults at the helm of this mighty starship. Now, other characters involve Josh mm. Gad. Now, he yes. plays Herman Judd, the owner of the Avenue 5, who just happens to be on board for this cruise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, he's like Mr. Wilford from Snowpiercer in some respects. He's got his logo everywhere. Yes, everything's branded. Everything is Judd branded. And he's, yeah, very much there as he's a bit of a foil and he's kind of got a lot of ideas but is not that useful. <laughs> Well, it's played by Josh Gad, who we know from the Broadway musical Book of Mormon. He played Le Fou in Beauty and the Beast, the live-action adaptation of that. Mm-hmm. We keep having this through line of Beauty and the Beast characters that we keep talking about on Zero G. Anyway, and actors. And, uh, but he also did this, like, a YouTube series called Reunited Apart, which I've seen, where he gets the cast to come together via Zoom of old movies. Oh, that's cool. Old movies, <laughs> Back to the Future, uh, uh, Lord of the Rings. He's doing uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Wayne's World, you know, that sort of thing. What cool. a great idea. Now, Josh Gad plays Herman Judd as if he was Jack Black, who he really does resemble. Hmm. Jack Black channeling Donald Trump. You think there's he, a Trump vibe? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This guy is dumber than dirt. Yeah, really? yeah. That makes it sound like he's more of an annoying character than he is. He is annoying, and he should be much more annoying than he is, but I think Josh Gad does walk the right line yeah. of making it still funny, and this yeah. is something the show does well is there are many places where it nearly tipped over into annoying me, but it righted itself in just the right way, and I think his character is a good example where he's really walking a fine line here but it's an enjoyable spectacle to watch rather than being something where you're just slapped in the face by something that's a bit too real. 
It's a quote from Mr. Judd. I have two emotions, elation and genius. <laughs> <laughs> it's very Trumpian. <laughs> I will say when you get one of the episodes, a little bit of a tour of his knickknacks, that he his special knickknacks. I won't give any more away. There's a lot of nice little Easter eggs there that you can have a bit of a giggle about too. Oh, yes. Yeah, he has some items of interest in that collection some for sure. Some eccentric, yeah. <laughs> His suite aboard the Avenue 5 is tricked out in gold. and you That know, is it's... pretty Trumpy, and it's all very gold and, you know, damask curtains and all this jazz, and yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, voted as the most useless supercargo aboard this ship that could easily be dumped out an airlock, <laughs> really. <laughs> Uh, so we've got the captain and the owner of the ship, and it's always annoying when you've got the money person on board. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you, you're the captain of the ship, damn it, and then you've got this other guy who can actually override your orders by firing your ass. True. You know, so. All right, so also we have Zach Woods playing Matt Spencer, mm. the head of customer relations. <laughs> He's actually a great character. There were so many scenes where he just made me giggle the way he plays that character who's kind of this weird yes man, but who just occasionally has these weird moments of clarity, but he's play- he hands it up with right- just the right note, I think. And he sinks more and more into the abyss of nihilism as he goes on. Yeah, but with he's got this sheen of PR. Like I think what the show is really good at is like there's the face, there's like the above deck and the below deck, there's the corporation sheen, and then there's everyone quietly cracking behind this veneer. And that's very much what the show is about. Uh, Part of the ship on the outside, it looks brilliant. It's all gold Mm. and and deco space streamed lines Mm. and wonderful highlights and it's it's miles long. And you get bound towards the stern of the ship and it gets a bit gritty. Mm. It gets you know, backstage, that sort of, well, we'll just slap this together and we'll make it look it's part of the ship, it's gotta be there, but the cameras won't be on it. Yeah, we are getting a a nice little it's the Great way that they do these kinds of bottle shows where you're exploring different areas of, say, a mansion or a ship or a plane, and we get these snippets of the crew and the passengers and the people that are meant to be in charge. And, yeah, each episode you see a little bit more behind the curtain. Mm. As I said, Zach Woods plays uh, Matt Spencer, the head of customer relations, and we've seen him before in The Loop where he played Chad and also on Veep. So, you know, this is a case Mm. of – being You'd recognise him, yeah. Yeah, and in the office too, uh, the American office, that is. We've got Rebecca Front playing the ship's Karen. <laughs> That's a purposeful naming. I was, wasn't was sure if at first they were calling her Karen, but it is indeed her real name. So, And she's a take-charge passenger, and she's a very fearsome, scary woman. Oh, my she, God. She's a very interesting one because in the first couple of episodes, it does – you warned me about this. It takes a little bit of time for it to find its feet. And at first I was like, oh, no, this entitled passenger's shtick is just going to tire me out and it's going to annoy me and I can't do it. But – some of those characters, they start to flesh them out a little bit and mm. it actually starts to really grab on. So I thought she was just going to be a Karen, was going to piss me off and not make me want to watch it. But that yes. actress, Rebecca, she does actually quite a fine job of, of again, balancing this comedy and, and melodramatic Karen-ness that she's doing. Now, there are nine episodes of Avenue 5 that have dropped on binge 
and that's the first season. It has been greenlit for a second season. Obviously, COVID's going to get in the way of, of that mm. in many respects, but, you know, they, they're going to get going. And the thing about it is that it does take about two episodes, I'd say, before the afterburners kick in. The show shifts into a, another gear, and one of the things that they do is they use this really fast-paced sort of psycho kinetic pressure music yes they're always, they're always playing underneath scenes as, as, the, as the nuts and bolts fall off yeah yeah i don't like that normally but it works really well here can i just speak briefly too about because we've got the ship crew and it's all very slick but as you say you know it starts to rattle a bit and the boards start to fall off and they use a very different a much more kind of saturated documentary style as we follow along what's happening at mission control so we're also following along uh mission control for the avenue five so these guys are back on earth and they're trying to stay in contact with the ship run the comms on everything handle the media there's a lot of kind of hints of this bureaucracy and everything and so Nikki Amuka Bird plays Rav, who's the head of Mission Control, and she's fabulous. She's kind of just stuff gets thrown at her left and right, and she has her own little crew of people that are shuffling along trying to help her out as they kind of try to bat away crisis after crisis. And uh, so I actually like the contrast. that They've also included this little Mission Control bit, which is just as farcical but in a slightly different kind of tone, which I thought was pretty clever. And she has to deal with... Not only the really annoyed relatives and loved mm. ones of the crew who are lost in space, yeah. she also has to deal with NASA, yep. who have been uh, co-opted to help out, mm. but are actually actually kind of a bit dismissive of the commercial venture. Well, to be fair, they've not been treated with that much respect either from said commercial venture. <laughs> but there's <laughs> right. a few choice words that Josh Gad's character has slung towards poor NASA. Yeah, and in fact, NASA are the go-to people for this when it goes into crisis, you know. Mm. So. And she also had this hilarious episode where she has to liaise with the presidents of the United States. Oh, I haven't got to that bit yet. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, interesting. And so Nikki Amuka-Bird, in this context as the uh, mission controller, she has got the most amazing hair I've ever seen on a human being. Yeah, she's got a cool do. Yeah, it's incredible. And she handles it all with this sort of on-the-boil, pressurised aplomb that is like just one notch sort of exploding. Yeah, you see her kind of compose and then you're like, oh, no, this is all being bottled up. And then she'll, like, crack a little and then she'll, like, compose again (laughs) to, like, head back out onto the front line. And, again, she plays it so well, I think. People that picked it to be this is spot on. And this is where I think it makes Avenue 5 a very good workplace. Because it is that, isn't it, at the end of the day, yeah. Let's have a track here, and I thought we'd play a track which does actually appear in the show Avenue 5, although not in this particular adaptation, this cover version. And it's one we have actually played before, but I really liked it. It's uh, John C. Riley singing Starman, and that does actually – it pops up in the uh, the episode at one, at one stage. And this is from Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. So it's John C. Riley. <laughs> the ubiquitous, the hilarious Mr. Riley doing Starman. 
This is Cory Doctorow, author of Little Brother, Information Doesn't Want to be Free, and the forthcoming novel Walk Away, and you are listening to Zero G on 3RRR. Starman, in case you didn't get that. Very lounge version, that. Mm. Fit for a space Groovy. liner. Yeah. Groovy. <laughs> As in Avenue 5. Yes. It'd be perfect for the lounge in that ill-fated spaceship, and that was John C. Riley mm. singing that particular <laughs> rendition of the Bowie classic from 1972, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Space. Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. And not to be confused with the 1984 Jeff Bridges movie, Starman. Although I don't know. No. Well, you know, there's probably a, a kinship there. Do you know what the, the name of the um, the little crash test dummy aboard the Tesla robe uh, car that uh, Elon Musk fired off into space? They call that Starman too. Oh, but, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, we are here on Zero G and I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. We are talking about Avenue 5, the ship com. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I almost actually don't really have to be careful. I could have called it a shit com because there's reasons why that would be entirely appropriate. But back to the show, which is on binge. Nine episodes have dropped. That's the whole first season. Mm-hmm. And it's a... Only a hilarious science fiction sitcom. I believe that it, it's well up to par with most of the other ones we've discussed recently on Zero G. Perhaps not as musical. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. All right. So now we, we're talking about the cast here, which is a pretty good way of getting into it because apart from the plot, which involves the space liner Avenue 5 being lost in space for a much longer cruise than the eight weeks that it's set out for. Mm-hmm. It's very much character-driven, I feel. Yes. Now, we've talked about Hugh Laurie's captain character and the owner and so on. Let's get down to some of the other characters who are more supporting, but because of the unique nature of this comedy, it's really the lower decks and assistant sort of characters, I believe, who are carrying this show. Mm. Let's talk about Mr. Judd's assistant, Iris. Iris, she is a cool, calm and collected fave. So she's played by Susie Nakamura. So she's the assistant to Josh Gad's character, Herman Judd, and their rapport together is brilliant. Her rapport with all the other characters is brilliant. She's kind of this very scathing, cynical character. She's very efficient and she's also very quick and so she's kind of – pitched as this little bit ruthless character who is, I don't know, very much in line with, you know, money is important, this is what's best for the corporation, whatever is required, but she does it with this really great element of humour that she's definitely one of my fave characters, I think. Yeah, she reminds me a bit of Joe from Mythic Quest. Ooh, yeah. That's a good one, actually. Yeah. yeah. She's offsets, and I do think some of my favourite scenes are kind of them in the war room. So it's Josh Gad as the billionaire owner, and then you've got Hugh Laurie there as the captain, Iris there who's kind of just, you know, sharp as listening to everything, has a comment to make about everything. And also uh, we mentioned before Zach Woods as Matt, the head of customer relations, who's kind of a bit clueless but along for the ride. So when those four get together, I'm only early on, some of those scenes are, it's quite theatrical in a way, a little bit, because we're hopping Mm. from these different scenarios. And I love uh, shows that are a little bit theatrical like that. But yes, Iris, can't rave about her enough. 
Oh, we saw in um, the West Wing where she was playing an assistant, Sam Seaborn. And one of the things I like about her is that she does fit into this whole dynamic with perfect expertise. She is the person who would normally be the go-to person for solving all of the big problems. Not the, yeah. not the owner, but the owner's executive assistant. Like the fixer. She'd be the one who's like, there's this crisis and she'll sort it out before, you know, XYZ finds out about it. She's just on top of everything. And they've got a running gag, and there's a lot of running gags in this, where where the billionaire calls over his shoulder, Iris! <laughs> She's one step behind him. She says, I'm right here. And, of course, the billionaire ignores a lot of people too because that's he has people to pay attention to the little people. Yes. You know. Now, yeah. I also love Ethan Phillips playing Spike Martin, <laughs> a former Canadian astronaut who was mm-hmm. the first Canadian on the moon. And now he's like this over-the-hill, pony, ponytail-wearing, <laughs> alcoholic womanizer, basically. Yeah, yeah who's sort of been enlisted as like the celebrity spacer who talks to the kids in the lounge and does little space lectures and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Played by Ethan Phillips, Neelix from Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And he's perfect in this. He is the one who will come up with the inappropriate comments (laughs) during a crisis, quite often alluding to his vast experience as an astronaut. Yep, he's kind of the older, inappropriate dude in the corner making the comments that no everyone pretends they didn't hear. <laughs> yeah. We've also got Himesh Patel playing a stand-up comedian who's been booked for the eight weeks yes. in the Avenue 5. I do like Himesh Patel. He is the lamest stand-up I've ever heard. <laughs> It's like Ricky Gervais in The Office. He's just sitting there doing these really unfunny jokes. Nobody likes them, but they're funny because of that. Yeah, yeah. And we saw him in uh, Tenet Hmm. as well. Yeah, and he was in yesterday, that Beatles time-bending film. Yeah, Yeah, that I didn't see but I didn't hear raves about. But anyway. Hmm. A lot of passengers on this ship, like in the thousands, so they've got – Ample opportunity for walk-on roles. Yep. And, yep. and I've seen a few familiar faces in there, but I won't spoil that for you. We shouldn't forget Billy, the oh, engineer no. on the ship. So she kind of swoops in. She's played by Lenora Cricklow. Yeah, as I mentioned, she's the engineer. She's the one who's got some of the facts and kind of works with Hugh Laurie, the captain, to kind of – figure out what they're going to do. And so she sort of enters in stage left and gets involved and she's always wearing this great like kind of one-piece work suit and providing little updates or facts or, you know, just kind of shedding light on certain matters aboard the ship as we truck along as well. And I think she's this very kind of deadpan humour in that role, but she's got some of my proper laughs too. So It's uh, Lenora Cricklow playing Billy McAvoy, the second engineer on the Avenue 5, and we know her from playing the character of Annie Sawyer in the British Supernatural series, Being Human. She was also in the White Bear episode of Black Mirror and was a guest star in the Doctor Who episode, Gridlock, going on to do some big Finnish audio dramas too, set in the Doctor Who universe. She reminds me of Dave Lister if Dave Lister was actually good at his job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
she's got that kind of role in this. And mm. that's why this reminds me so strongly of Red Dwarf at its best mm. because it's got that, as you were saying before, they were doing like little bottle scenarios where mm-hmm. there's like three characters in a, on the bridge or in yeah. a, a briefing room, mm. and that is very much that sort of Red Dwarf thing. Yeah. It's one of the things that it was very well known for. Mm. And this does as well as Red Dwarf in, in my particular log book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Avenue 5, it's on Binge, and there are so many things about this show that just made me chuckle out loud and, <laughs> and, and deep belly laughs at, at some times. You have to – you can rewind to hear the dialogue because it's worth doing, you know. It's very sharp. I mean, this is what we've come to expect by Inanucci, right? Like this shouldn't be a surprise. The dialogue is is whip smart. There's a lot of really great lines. If you blink and miss them, you write, you do want to go back and be like, oh, what was that again? And sometimes there's just these little nuggets of dialogue in the background that you really get a lot out of if you're paying close attention. And I was a little worried at first because the tone, I was kind of here for it because it was a little bit farcical, a little bit slick, very clearly comedy, but it was quite chaotic. And I was like, is this going to be just too over the top for me to be invested in? And then it kind of brought it down at level. It kind of chilled it out a bit and it's still ridiculous. There is some ridiculous stuff happening on this ship, but it really started to zoom in on the characters and that's when it started to shine. And you're right, after a couple of eps, it starts to really find a pattern. Mm. I mean, some lines in this, like the the PR guy who, as I was saying, he's, he's sort of a nihilistic fellow. Yeah, <laughs> underneath Try- all that veneer, yeah trying to be up but also really deeply down and he just has these little asides and one of these was poor octopus eight arms but no hands f you god (laughs) (laughs) and then he goes on to say every year we pass the pre-anniversary of our death but we don't even know it so we don't get presents And there's throwaway lines that you have to listen to in the background. It's like, this is as big as when the Pacific Ocean went toxic. Yeah, there's a lot of little Ooh. funny nuggets that make you go, oh, I see what they're doing. They're implying these things happened in this, you know, future. Uh, yeah. That's that's They're obviously having a lot of fun with those little history nuggets, let's say. And, and then there's a lot of swearing in this show, which we have mentioned before. Karen does just a swear. Karen's very good at not swearing. Okay, so there's a line, a throwaway line, and it's just on the newscast, and it's like, Toby Maguire murdered in showers in prison. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't heard that one. That's good. That's random. I love that. That's so random. With the greatest of respect to Toby, Spider-Man Maguire, you know. It's just so random in the background. And the observational powers Mm. of the writers of this show are so spot on. Mm. There's an entire episode of Red Dwarf which is devoted to them trying to track down some sounds that the plumbing makes. Mm, Yes, yes, yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's an episode of this one, of Avenue 5, that's devoted to trying to track down this beep Mm. noise. It's like the fly episode of Breaking Bad. (laughs) Oh, good, good call. Yeah, it's like that, only funny. Yeah, yeah not horribly <laughs> depressing and like a six-year journey that you've been on with this character. And if you've ever been bothered by a persistent noise, mm. you'll know exactly where this is coming from. Mm-hmm. By hell, you know, that's a persistent noise at zero G is every week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think that's probably about enough for Avenue 5. We've 
gushed so much about this excellent space sci-fi television show. And I, I think I'll just give you a little track here that's a a bit of the soundtrack of the Red Dwarf show, the mm-hmm. original, the one, the only, not the one and only space comedy, but certainly it's not even the one and only British space comedy. <laughs> so they do them so well. And uh, this, of course, is from uh, an album called Great British TV Films. And Ian, mm. who is the artist that's h-e-u in this case and you'll have heard this before but it's been a long time since we played this on zero g so why not the crimson short one says it's cold outside there's no sign of atmosphere hey this is great charles dave listed off red dwarf you're listening to space core directive three triple r fm so smeg and get on with it no wonder Crichton has a magic eraser for a head there if he's headbanging away to the theme song from <laughs> Red Dwarf. <laughs> we leave the good ship Avenue 5 lost in space mm-hmm. and we come to some information that Megan is going to regale us with. Yes, I have a news bulletin. Uh, so just a couple of tidbits that I wanted to flag for your interest. So thing one is a couple of weeks back I noticed that the set photos from Netflix's live action adaptation of Cowboy Bebop are out. They've released some pickies. So this is, of course, Netflix's new show. They're doing an adaptation of Cowboy Bebop, which has a lot of anime (laughs) fans scared, excited, trepidatious, all of that good stuff. So it was our very first look at the style of the adaptation and the direction they would be going in. So, as I mentioned, uh, Cowboy, Bebop, Cowboy Bebop is a 90s anime space cowboy favourite, and so this will be a live-action version. It's going to be released on November 19th, all going well. Uh, the writer is Christopher Yost, and we're in safe hands, I think, because he's worked on many things for Marvel and the MCU, so both the comics and the films, and he's also worked on The Mandalorian as well. The original series director, Shin Ichiro Watanabe, he's on board the production as a creative consultant as well. Tick, very good sign that he's involved there. And very importantly, Yoko Kano, who was responsible for the original's uh, score, which is very iconic. It's this jazzy score that you should definitely look up if you haven't heard it. So um, they've returned to compose, which is fantastic. So the cast, we get to see our first look at John Cho as Spike, and we get to see Mustafa Shakir as Jet Black and Daniela Panita as Faye Valentine. So these are kind of the core characters that we really wanted to get eyeballs on. And I have to say they look slick. It looks amazing. So the style and the costuming, I'm very excited from what I've seen. So urge you to go have a look at those images. I'll see if I can find a link and put it up on the Zero G Triple R program page. But there's some iconic kind of scenes that they've sort of shown us that we'd be somewhat familiar with. So it gives us some hints about what might be covered in the series. The Spike's outfit looks fantastic. John Cho's hair is perfect. The styling looks spot on. They've updated 
phase outfit, which I think is a must in this day and age, also needs to be realistic because Daniela is a real person, not an anime drawing. So she <laughs> needs to be able to move uh, with modesty. And so, but to me, everything is looking fantastic. So I'm super excited. I'm very happy to hear that people who worked on the original Cowboy Bebop are involved in this. And I've been waiting for this for a while. So keen for when the actual show drops or when we might see a little bit more actual footage as well. It's been a while since I've watched any C Bebop, so I think I might go back and do some revision. Not a bad idea. Very good time for a revisit and a rewatch, I think, in preparation. We've got a couple of months. So the second little tidbit that I wanted to mention as well is The Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf. So this is another Netflix release. So we did sort of cover The Witcher on the show a while back, and that's the live action with Henry Cavill playing Geralt and the adaptation of the novels, also a video game. So we checked that out a while back. Now this is a standalone film and it is animated. It's an adult animation though. So don't, you know, show this to young, young little ones, I don't think. So it's a dark fantasy film and it's actually a joint South Korean American production. So they've used a South Korean animation studio for this. It is produced by Lauren Schmidt Heisrich. So she did work on The Witch of the Live Action. And it is a spin-off to that series as well. So it's kind of a little bit of extra content if you enjoyed that series and you're eagerly anticipating the next one. So it focuses on the origin story of Geralt's mentor and fellow Witcher Vesemir. It's on there now, so you can go on and check that out. Theo James, who we've seen before in the Underworld films and the Divergent series films, he voices Vesemir. And the animation is done by the studio, Studio Mir. So that is actually named after the Soviet space station Mir. Um, The kind of creator of that studio, he was inspired because of its scientific breakthrough and collaborative spirit. And he wanted that same energy for his animation studio. So they've largely worked on a lot of international films rather than Korean work. And so you might see them associated with some different animation that's going to come out of the US in the future. So that is The Witcher, Nightmare of the Wolf animated fantasy film spin-off to The Witcher live action series. It's on Netflix now. Gosh, it's such a huge field, animated spin-offs from movies and, t- and live-action TV shows. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I guess if there's interest on the platform and they've got the money to throw at it, you know, it's just all adding to the big back catalogue of things that Netflix has under its little wing. So, it, I mean, I'm glad they're making this kind of content. I think it's pretty cool. Some of them can be really good, like the uh, the one of Ghostbusters that they did back in the day, mm. and Men in Black, and Star Trek, and so on. Others not so good. <laughs> well, this, like anything, right? There's a very wide spectrum of quality uh, with these things. So I'm I'm kind of keen to check that out. But I thought I'd flag that if you're a Witcher fan and would like to see some more Witcher vibes. Mm. Now I would like to put up a distress flag for the next show. <laughs> And look, okay, this is another post-apocalyptic show. But we gotta. There's so (laughs) much good post-apocalyptic content. (laughs) Oh, dear. And it's Y. That's the letter Y. Mm -hmm. The last man. Mm. And although that actually sounds like it might be set in a sort of youth hostel or something like that, it's it's not primarily like that. Uh, Well, okay, so it's based on the comic book series by Brian K. Vaughan and Mm -hmm. other people, but Vaughan was known for doing other books like Ex Machina, not not the movie, uh, Runaways, Pride of Baghdad, Saga, and 
Paper Girls. Yes, Saga and Paper Girls, highly recommend. Mm. He worked on uh, Batman and Green Lantern for DC, Spider-Man, Captain America, so many other comic books. He's got chips. And Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 8 for Dark Horse. Ah, yep. But he was also the showrunner and exec producer of the TV series Under the Dome. Oh, now, when yeah, he worked, yeah, when he worked with Pia Jasmine Guara, and she's mm. an American-born Canadian comic book artist, she did the artwork for Wyatt the Last Man and also worked on uh, Doctor Who uh, comic books and DC and Marvel as well as working on Mad Magazine. <laughs> oh. So all of that sort of focuses back on the original comic books. But this new drama series, and they sort of went through a bit of an evolution. They tried to get a movie off the ground and mm-hmm, that didn't mm-hmm. quite work. And yeah. I'm glad of that because this is actually a concept that needs a series because I've read all of the comic books and you actually need that development. To Space s- and, yeah. Yeah. The premise is actually on the tin, Why the Last Man? There is a plague, oh, so topical, and this plague takes out all mammals with a Y chromosome. Interesting. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. That's, that's all the men, basically. Yep. And thereby hangs the tail. Now, mm. the interesting thing about this is that there is one man left. The last man? <laughs> yes, whose name is Yorick Brown, so Y chromosome, Y in his name, mm-hmm. and one other mammal, his pet monkey, Ampersand. Aww. Who has Yeah, and Ampersand. That's great. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. And he's trying to travel the world, trying to find uh, his mother, his girlfriend, who's actually gone to Australia. So, oh. And he's in the U.S., and that's a massive epic tale, and oh, hopefully gosh. they'll get they'll get to tell this. His mother is actually the new U.S. president. Oh, good for her! Who inherits the title after the male drops misogynistic <laughs> president drops it? And there's so many tropes in this that works so well. Like, obviously, this is a, this is a trope that harkens back to some very hoary old science fiction ideas, mm. you know, usually to do with matriarchies gone mad, that sort of thing. We're well beyond that in this story. It's sophisticated mm-hmm. and clever and engaging too, even in the middle of our own pandemic. Mm. Uh, the first obvious thing is it really highlights gender imbalance. Mm. Take out the men who have been doing this particular job and replace them by surviving women. For example, only 5% of truck drivers in the U.S. are women. Mm, yeah. Take the rest out, shops run out of food. Yeah, interesting, yeah. Of course, the men are not there to eat half of that food or more, and <laughs> so there's that. But, you know, just things like uh, the procedural of this is quite engaging and complicated. Like it's a hemorrhagic uh, plague and mm. people just drop dead. So you've got Ew. millions of corpses. So cholera with contaminated right. water supplies, all yeah. that sort of stuff. And they really do address these issues as they go along. So, mm. you know, hey, what fun. <laughs> it's like it's like in the war when the women would have to step up and play the baseball and all that. I've seen a league of their own. But it's like actually society starts to crumble. Yeah, but the women do step up. Of course. That's, yeah. That is the interesting thing. Of course, they have no choice. Nevertheless, it's very interesting to see what sort of society they create. And it's not mm. necessarily going to be this uh, completely different society because there's also they may have eliminated uh, the gender imbalance, mm. but well, or created a new one. But there are also still class structures in play. Of course, the different yeah other inequalities. 
Mm. So I thought that was fascinating. Where this one also comes into play is that it goes somewhere that the comic books don't do anywhere near as much. They get into the interesting tale of what happens to trans people. Oh, okay. So they've updated or added in tackling more issues. Okay, I like that when they're sort of – I hope, you know, it's done well. Um, but I, I was going to ask about whether they've added anything because this series is is sort of – I don't want to say old because it's not old, but it's from a while ago, right, a decade or more. Yeah, yeah. So it's still very timely, I think, especially with our own apocalypse. But, yeah, it ran from 2002 through to uh, sometime, I think, 2008. Is that all the sort of okay. era we're looking at? Yeah, roughly that. Uh, the uh, The story itself is told in a longer form because it is a series. Yeah. I think there's about four episodes dropped so far on Binge, so it's one okay. of those ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and really, do you really want to binge a post-apocalyptic series? I do not, know. <laughs> I do, but, you know, that's just <laughs> <laughs> We've established, Rob, that you're <laughs> more robust Rob, to such things. <laughs> Rob, what, only one apocalypse? Chan. <laughs> Okay, the story I thought is is very tightly told, even though it's it's going to sprawl out across quite a long series. Mm. There's so many people in this that we've seen before, but I won't go into that now because we don't have time. So I've only watched uh, an episode and a bit, okay. so I'm I'm into it. They've they've got yeah. the procedural element in there, the mystery element. What yeah. actually happened? What caused yeah. that? Who's to blame? Uh-huh. <laughs> There's always got to be someone. Is and just the feel and the atmosphere line up with what you would have expected, like having read the graphic novels, does it kind of feel right? Yeah, it does, actually. I think they they, cap, they capture the feel well and it's a good adaptation from what I can see. Cleverly updated where it needs to be done. Good, uh, yep. Otherwise they just leave it to tell its wonderful story. Nice. <laughs> Perhaps yep. wonderful is not the right word <laughs> in itself. <laughs> but little dilemmas that show up, like uh, one of the characters the day before, the, actually the, like the morning of the day before the big death, uh, she kills a, a person, a man, oh. quite bloodily, yeah. and and she steps out of the venue where this occurred, mm. prepared to face the music, and it's all gone away. It doesn't matter. Interesting. You know, stuff like that happens. So, yeah, for something different, why the last man? But maybe not different from your current circumstances, so fair warning there. Mm. Well, that. That's, that's on binge. Well, that's about it for Zero G for today. What a note to end on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's it for Zero G today. I think we shall go out with a track from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Speaking of shows and comedies set in space, this is, of course, The Eagles, The Sorcerer. Mm. co-opted or hijacked or press ganged for The Hitchhiker's mm-hmm. Guide to the Galaxy. And... Until next week, we'll go with the catchphrase of the bridge of (laughs) (laughs) Avenue 5. Thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster, and thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And Joe Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. Until next week, fly safe. Fly true. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.